Those of you that don't know me, my name is Rick Sherman. It's my privilege to get up here from time to time preaching God's Word. Today is our third in the series on the Sermon on the Mount. Micah started us off and he did the Beatitudes. And last week, Don Stuber talked about uh, Jesus being all that we have. And truly, the rubber's going to meet the road today. But first, let me give you... Elders probably don't want me to do this, but I'm going to give you a little insight into the inner workings of Northfield. Brady and Doug don't know this either. So a while back, one of the elders approached me and said, we had a meeting. We're going to do the Sermon on the Mount. And when Matthew 5, 21 through 26 comes, you take it. Because we've surveyed the roster of the guys that get up here. And you've got the temperament for this passage. <laughs> right. None of that is true. Truth of the matter is, predominantly in the minister's meetings, I pick when I get up here by date. Well, here and now, that stops. Because after Samson and now this one, uh, you're not getting me on by date anymore. It will be by passage. Before we go to God's word, let's go to him in a moment of prayer. Father God, I just uh, want to lift up uh, Rick right now. And pray that you would fill him with your spirit right now, that it would not be his words, but it'd be yours, that uh, you would speak through him and speak to our hearts, Lord, and uh, fill him with your spirit and every word that he uses. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So we are in, as I said, I don't know if that was me. I just touched a piece of paper. Uh, we are in Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Page 810 in your pew Bible, um, I'm going to read out of the NIV, and we're going to park there. I'll reference some other scriptures, but we're simply going to park in the text, Matthew 5, 21 through 26. I'll give you a second to get there. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Heading on your Bible, actually in the Pew Bible, is anger. Heading in my Bible is murder. That's why I kind of had those two things here. Uh, Jesus starts the passage today with, you have heard it said. Actually, there's six of these in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said. And then Jesus immediately goes, but I will tell you. But I will tell you. How far back is Jesus going? He said, uh, heard it back long ago. Is he going back to Matthew 5, 17, where Don talked last week about Jesus coming to fulfill the prophets? Jesus is actually quoting Exodus 20, 10 commandments, Exodus 20, 13. Is he going back to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible? I really think Jesus is going all the way back to Genesis 1, 1. We see murder in Genesis chapter 4, don't we? And here, yes, you can read that and I'm going to say it. Right now, Jesus ruins everything. 
Yeah, let me explain that. Jesus absolutely ruins everything. Jesus is now expounding on this, and he's not talking about our actions. He said, you've heard it said, don't murder. Any murderers in here? If it was only that easy. Jesus is looking at our hearts. Jesus tears it wide open. He is looking at our hearts. He's not looking at our actions. Jesus said, you have heard it said, don't murder. I will tell you. Jesus is looking at our hearts. Anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says raka, anyone who says you fool. Jesus can't be serious here, can he? I mean, this is serious. This has got to be like washing feet. This has got to be like a holy kiss or head coverings or dancing or women preachers. Jesus is just talking here, isn't he? He can't be serious. Can we please go back to the Ten Commandments? I do pretty good on the Ten Commandments. How do you guys do on those? I don't murder. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. I don't lie. I do really well on the Ten Commandments. Can we just go back to them, Jesus? That's a lot easier a plane to reach. Are you guilty? Raka. Word is only used one time in Scripture. There's actually a derivative of it used in 2 Samuel, but that word is used here, one time in Scripture. It is a term of contempt or derision. Uh, translated good for nothing, uh, empty head, if you're from Britain, it'd be blockhead, or worthless. That's what the word means. Let me ask you a question. You ever driven a vehicle? We love the national parks, and we drove to them. We've been to a lot of them on each side of the coast, up and down. We drive. I drive selfishly because I wanted that time with my girls. I wonder how many times my girls have heard me say, look at this idiot. I wonder how many times my girls have had said, it's the pedal on the right. It's the pedal on the right. Why aren't they using it? Raka. That's what I'm doing. You ever stood in a line? I did this week. I went golfing earlier this week. I uh, went to Thornton's after work and I wanted to get something to drink. There I stand at Thornton's after work at the gas station. There's six people in line. There's two people actually working the cash registers. No, one of them's just stocking cigarettes. There's just one cash register working. I stand in that line, Raka. You know, why is someone doing their grocery shopping at Thornton's? How many items can you seriously bring to the checkout counter at Thornton's? And then, me, I'm just being honest, my brain goes, then I start stereotyping. The last thing the person in front of me needs is two bags of chips and a two liter of Coke. I get to the front of the line. Seriously, the guy in front of me, how long you been in line? You don't know which lottery ticket you want? <laughs> You're going to lose. <laughs> the other people in line can't manipulate the credit card machine as though the first time they've used it. And I get to my car, and God's like, Raka, hey, Rick, who's preaching on anger this week? <laughs> Raka, I am guilty of it. Are you? One commentator phrases it this way. He's talking about the entire Sermon on the Mount. Is Jesus makes no attempt to fence in the law. The Pharisees and the scribes, they wrote books and books and volumes and volumes, right? The Mishnah and books and expanding on the law. What's good, what's bad? And Jesus makes no attempt to fence in the law. He wants to look at your heart. It's not a book of rules. He's looking at our hearts. So now what? 
You know the last line of the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount is a great passage and it gets a lot of positive text. It's not fun when you study it. The last line, I don't know who's preaching it, last line in the Sermon on the Mount of steel, little bit of your thunder, was the wise and foolish builders. And the last words Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, and great was the crash of that house. And great was the crash of it. We're hopeless, left to our own devices. Jesus is addressing our heart, I said it before, not our actions. Why? Why is Jesus doing this? Because God is holy. Because God is holy. You are not. And Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, you will not see God. I'm not holy. I can't see God without holiness. He will not tolerate anger, let alone murder. And you know what? Those people in front of that line at the store, when I'm doing raka in my head, God created that worthless being. And Jesus died for that person I call a fool. That's why. Therefore, we're going to go back and we're going to read verses 23 and 24 now. I'll reread those, 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Did you catch the gear change? Your brother has something against you. This isn't me being mad now. I'm at the altar. You first read this passage and growing up for sure I thought it was I remember I've done something wrong. No, did you catch the gear change? Your brother has something against you. Well, against me? What? what? Oh, no, they don't understand. I was under a lot of stress. I did that because I didn't have a choice. They would have done the same thing. It was a slip of the tongue. I didn't really mean it. They didn't mean what I said. Just a slip of the tongue. Why can't they get over that? That was like years and years ago. How good are you at justifying yourself? I'm pro-grade. I'm absolutely pro-grade. I have every right to be angry at you. You have no right to be angry at me because I know what I did and I know why I did it and I can justify all of my selfish, selfishness and arrogance and pride. and every, I can justify that all to myself if I let myself. Did you catch the gear change? Jesus says now is the time to solve it. You're coming to the altar. You realize something's wrong. Something's wrong in your life. Leave your gift there and go and be reconciled to your brother. So now what? I go back and great was the crash of it. Left to our own devices. We're hopeless. Why? Because we need to worship God wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. Without distraction. Can you worship God when you're wound up? I guess you can, but it's pretty hard. If you have something against someone and you're mad, that puts a barrier between you and God. It puts a, and I'm not saying you can't worship, but it puts a barrier. You're not worshiping God fully and completely when you have grudges on earth. 
You have something against, you have something against someone, something, they have something against you. I don't know why I'm fumbling with my words at the moment, I'm sorry. Do you know who you're worshiping? Do you know who you're worshiping? You're worshiping a perfectly holy God. We sung songs about how big he is, about his majesty. Do you know who you're worshiping? Do you know what he paid? Do you know what he paid? And we're good with grudges. We're good with just letting that barrier come between me and God. I'm good with it, God. No, I want to hold on to this. I'm going to worship you, but I am holding on to this. I know someone's got something against me. I'm not going to resolve it. See, the burden's on me. Isn't that interesting? Jesus puts the burden on me. If I know something's wrong and you're not pursuing me, the burden is on me. Leave your gift there. God will be there later. Go and get it solved. Because it puts a barrier between you and God. You cannot worship him perfectly and wholly as he needs to be worshipped. Are we done yet? I say, can we be done, Jesus? Can we go back to the Ten Commandments now and just live on the Ten Commandments? We're not done yet. Verse 25 and 26. Verse 25 and 26. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Pardon me. This is, again, someone is taking you to court, inferring that you've done something wrong. Someone is taking you to court. Well, me, I didn't do anything wrong. My first question on this one is, how did it get this far? How did we get to court? I don't do a lot of legal counsel, but I, I know enough to believe my next statement is true. I don't think a lot of people get served with lawsuits out of the clear blue sky. I had no idea this was coming. No idea. How did it get this far? Have you made any effort to resolve it prior to this? It's not really my fault, right? What's the old adage? There's two sides to every story, my side, your side, and the truth. Usually somewhere closer to the middle, right? It's not my fault. How did it get this far? Why? What's your reputation worth? I thought of that. I don't know if this is a good analogy, but what's my reputation worth? Someone's taking me to court. What's it worth? What's Jesus' reputation worth? Are you carrying Jesus' reputation around? What is my reputation, I think to myself? Not so much within these four walls, and I don't want to minimize you people, but what's my reputation at work? What's my reputation at the world? You guys think I have some degree of acumen, some degree of handle on the Christian life. I may not. I may not have any. What's my reputation at work? Who do people think of me? What do you guys think of me? There's that... There's that arrogant guy up there again. There's that guy. He's not very friendly in the APR at lunch. What's my reputation? What do my kids think? What's my reputation? Man, dad can fly off the handle sometimes. Man, don't bug him right when he gets home from work. What's my reputation? What's my reputation in my smaller community group? What is it? What's it worth? I have 
ran a lawnmower shop for a number of years, and I did um, unfortunately have to take a few people to court, small claims court. Made every effort to settle the, settle the account, phone calls, nothing works. Finally, last resort, I, I've a number of times, unfortunately, had to take some people to court. And I was filing paperwork on one particular gentleman one day, and the lady behind the, the sheriff's office, was, she was going to serve the papers, and she said, is, is that guy, is, is he a big burly guy with a beard? I said, yeah. She goes, you're not the only one chasing him down. What's your reputation worth? What's your reputation? Is that your reputation? But what about righteous anger, right? Come on, tell me someone's thought of this. Someone sitting here in the pews has thought of this, right? What about righteous anger? Didn't Jesus clear the temple out twice? Once at the start of his ministry, once at the end of his ministry? I mean, he made a whip, physically kicked over the tables, kicked people out, may have kicked people. What, is, what about righteous anger, Rick? Come on, we've got to go down this road. I hit 50 years old this year, 18,523 days today. I got one righteous anger on my resume. I've got one time when I lashed out verbally in righteous anger on my resume. Does it exist? Yeah. Be careful when you go down the road to justifying your anger as righteous. So I thought, I really wanted to get this passage out of Scripture. I was like, can we get this as a one-off? Can we say that Jesus is just on a one-off, right? You can take Scripture out of context if you just pull one verse out of Scripture. So I went outside the Sermon on the Mount. I went outside the book of Matthew. And I thought, we got to get this back on the rails. we got to rein Jesus in here because he really can't mean this. Ephesians 4.26, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Luke 23.34, if anyone could have been angry. This is Jesus as they're nailing him to the cross. Betrayed by one of his 12 best friends. Kangaroo joke of a court carried out at night under the cover of darkness. Convicted to capital punishment for not only a crime he didn't commit, but he's committed no crimes. None. And what's his words? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Anger? If anyone had a right to be angry. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How about someone has something against you? Luke 10, 27. It's in the Bible multiple times, actually. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you do yourself a lot of conscious harm? Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 12, 17. Do not repay evil for evil. Someone has something against you? The Bible says you're supposed to turn the other cheek. What about suing people? What's the bulk of lawsuits about on this earth, ultimately? Isn't it? Oh, there's defamation of character lawsuits, right? What are those always accompanied with? Millions and millions of dollars in, pay, in reparations. What's the Bible say about money? Matthew 8, 36. What shall it profit a man? 
to inherit the whole earth and lose his soul. And 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is what is the root of all kinds of evil. Jesus is not taking this out of context. This is real, what he's saying. It's supported by multiple scriptures. How does this affect your worship of him? How does anger, how does that affect your worship of Jesus? Hopeless? Folks, we are not. Hopeless, we are not, folks, because of the cross. We sung the song, King of Kings, there is power in the blood. Hopeless, we are not. Left to ourselves, I said we were, but we are not hopeless because Jesus came. The man who preached this sermon came because we have sin. And we are not hopeless because the only one that could have paid the price said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And on the cross, he paid the full price for our sins, past, present, and future. And he said when he willingly gave up his life, it's finished. It's finished. I did it. It's done. It's been paid in full. Hopeless we are not, folks. We are not hopeless. But why does it matter? Why does any of this matter? It's your last, slot, it's your last uh, note in the, in the bulletin, I believe. I'll just let you read that. But as a general rule, the cause of sin is never so much helped as when Christians waste their strength in quarreling with one another and spend their time in petty squabbles. How true is that? This was not a comment written on the Sermon on the Mount, but when I read it, I thought, boy, is that real. It's real individually, it's real corporately, it's real globally. My garage is my happy place. You may have heard me say that. My, these sermons, my quiet time, my time when I think, truthfully, they all come out of, they don't all come out of there. They come out of there, my happy spot, after 9, 10 o'clock at night. It's when I'm quiet. How many hours have I spent in my garage worked up about nothing? How many hours have I spent just worked up? I'm wasting energy. I'm, waste, I'm consuming my time and my strength worked up, angry. Man, to get that time back. It's horrible. We went fast. I know I get accused of doing that up here. I'm sorry. But uh, we are going to wrap up with a song, and the worship team is going to come forward. I'm going to talk for a minute or so longer, though. Why? Because our anger is like murder. That's why. Why does it matter? Because... We are called to a higher standard. For all the sin that you've been forgiven, for everything you've been forgiven, we are called to a higher standard than to treat people angrily, than to hold grudges, than to not reconcile to our brothers. We are called to a higher standard because God is loving and he loves you. And what do I pass on? Anger? We're called to a higher standard. And why? Very simply, if I haven't made it clear yet, it's sin. It's sin. 
And God has a zero sin tolerance policy. We talk about that. That's a buzzword on earth, right? We hear all these zero tolerance policies. Most of them on the earth have exceptions for pride, privilege, and power. God has no exceptions. There will be no anger in heaven. None. Zero tolerance for sin. Zero. And why? Because it cost the Father his son. It must be serious. Jesus died. It cost the Father his son. And it cost Jesus his blood. 